I'd love to introduce our next speaker to you. Uh, Rangi De Silva is a Melbourne-based doctor who is currently training in obstetrics and gynaecology. She is a self-confessed uh, self science and comic book nerd, also passionate about global health. She has worked in Uganda, Sri Lanka, remote indigenous communities in, no in the Northern Territory, and is looking forward to a volunteer placement in the Asia-Pacific next year before she becomes an even bigger nerd when she starts her PhD. Please welcome to the stage, Rangi. even shorter than everybody else. Thanks so much for having me tonight, guys. Um, as Alanta mentioned, I am a bit of a science nerd and a comic book nerd. Um, but in my day job, when I'm not in the comic book world, I am in gynecology. So I'm going to tell you the story of a man who became known as the father of modern gynecology, the inventor of this. Now, most of you in this room will know what this is um, and have often cringed at the thought of this thing. Well, if you're female, that is. If you're male, you may not quite know what it is, but it's a speculum. Um, but nevertheless, it has become a key tool in the field of gynaecology, and sadly, I use it on a daily basis. Before this thing existed, problems affecting the female genitalia were largely ignored or worse, thought to be due to hysteria or psychosis. The male doctors at the time didn't have much interest in women's bits. I mean, the vagina. Who could see up that narrow hole? <laughs> I mean, we struggle as it is. But the cervix, even worse. Enter James Marion Sims, the first male doctor to care about problems of the vagina and cervix, enough to do something about it enough to invent a tool. And this cold, hard, quite brutal-looking instrument is not different from the one invented by Sims 100 years ago. Now, every woman who has had a pap smear will know that the sound it makes, the cold glint of the metal in the doctor's room neon lights, and that no matter how much lube is used, it's really not a pleasant experience. And Sadly, as I mentioned, I use this on a daily basis, um, but since its invention, it has meant that we've been able to help a lot of women. Because lo and behold, we can now see women's bits. And as I make another reference, um, as David did to Wonder Woman and superheroes, if gynecologists were superheroes, say Wonder Woman, for example, then the speculum is our lasso of truth. It's one of our greatest weapons in the fight against gynecological problems. So, great guy, right? He invents something to help women. Sims was also hailed as a pioneer in the field of gynecology for many other reasons. And because of this, there's a large bronze statue of him erected in New York. And currently, it sits in front of the New York Academy of Medicine. But in August just this year, this tribute was defaced and became the centre of a large protest and calls were being made to remove the statue. His eyes were painted red, and red paint was splattered all over his statue, making him look like a demon spilling blood. It's very appropriate for this time of year. Why, you ask, would anyone do this to the inventor of this tool that we still use every day? Well, again, sorry if anyone hasn't seen Wonder Woman, but if Sims was a character in Wonder Woman, he would be a mixture of Ares, the god of war, and 
Dr. Poison, the female femme fatale maniac who loves watching people scream in pain. Let me tell you his story. So he was born in 1813 in Lancaster County, South Carolina. He had a fairly modest upbringing until at the age of 12, his father sent him to the newly established Franklin Academy for white youths. Sets the scene for the age. In 1832, he took a short three-month course at the Medical College of Charleston and went on to enrol in a medical degree in Philadelphia. Now, in our day and age, we try and make medical education as long and exhausting as possible. Many of us know this. There's at least five or, or more years of undergrad training, followed by seemingly endless years of trying to get into whatever subspecialty you want to get into. Then there's exams, and there's more exams, years and exams and exams. And then we've developed more than a few grey hairs before we actually finish. Sims, however, graduated after only one year in medical school in 1835, <laughs> at the ripe old age of 22. And then, of course, he was ready to practice solo. And that he did, setting up practice in his hometown of Lancaster County. A year later, he married his sweetheart, Theresa May. They went on to have nine children. Mary, Eliza, Granville, Carrie, Mary, Fanny, Harry, William, and Florence. Yes, the father of gynecology also had a father, was a father to a child named Fanny. Now, you might think he was gifted or a prodigy given he finished so quickly by our measure. However, this thought is quickly dispelled when you hear that his first two patients, children nonetheless, died as a result of his weird treatments. Then, as one does when one becomes a pariah of your hometown for all murdering children, he moved to another state and set up practice in Alabama. It was in Alabama that he decided he was going to focus on gynaecology. As I said, in the mid-19th century, gynaecology was not a robustly developed field. Social norms regarded the medical study and examination of female reproductive anatomy as immoral. Disorders related to the female genitalia were considered voodoo and hysteria by some. In medical school, doctors were trained on dummies to deliver babies, and much of this practice lied with midwives. They did not see their first actual women until they began practicing, which, don't forget, was a year after he went to med school. As a result, he had no formal background in gynecology when he decided to become a gynecologist. It was in Alabama that a woman came to him after an injury to her pelvis from a horse. This was when he had the idea to create the speculum. This was very controversial, as I said, as doctors thought that opening up a woman's body might corrupt her and turn them into prostitutes or sex-crazed maniacs. This was, after all, the time when vaginal examinations were associated with prostitution and indecency. Nevertheless, to get this end product you see here, Sims experimented using different sized spoons and strategically placed mirrors, high-tech stuff. What did he experiment on, you ask? Dummies? No. This is where it gets a bit ugly. Only the most vulnerable people of the time. From 1845 to 1849, Sims experimented on 12 African-American slave women. 
offered to him by their masters to perfect not only his tool but also his surgical technique. He noticed that these slaves were affected by a horrific plight of obstetric fistula, which may, many of you might know is where long labours cause holes between either the bladder and the rectum and, and the vagina, causing uncontrollable leaking of urine and faeces, most commonly because of long labours. It's fortunately not something you see in this town very often, but we do see it a lot in developing countries. Sims was fascinated by this disorder and wanted to be the one to fix it. He wanted the fame and accolades that would come from this. Out of these 12 women, three in particular, one as young as 14, became the subjects of his practice. Lucy, Betsy and Annika all had fistulas of varying severity. Now, gynaecology was still a blossoming field, but anaesthetics was making leaps and bounds. In the years before this, nitrous oxide and ether were starting to be commonly used for medical and surgical practices for patients. However, in the 19th century, it was commonly thought that those with dark skin felt less pain than those with white. So not only did these poor women not consent as their masters had offered them, but they each had up to 30 surgeries with no anesthesia, no pain relief whatsoever. Sure, the operations were eventually a success, but at what cost? One patient nearly died from septicemia, and there are reports that some of the other patients had to hold them down while up to 12 surgeons watched him operate. As if this wasn't enough to cement his title of villain, during his early medical years, he also became interested in neonatal tetanus. These days, again, it commonly occurs in developing countries from infections from the belly buttons of newborns where they haven't yet developed immunity from their mothers. It's now recognised to be a result of nutritional deficiencies and unsanitary practices. In the 19th century, this wasn't known. And while Sims alluded to the idea that sanitation and living conditions played a role in its contraction, he believed that the disease could be attributed to the idea that enslaved Africans were intellectually and morally inferior. In addition to this, he thought the disease arose from skull bone movement during long births. To test this, he used a shoemaker's awl. Now, I don't have an example of one of those, but it's basically a large, pointy, sharp thing. He used this to pry the skull bones of enslaved women's babies into alignment. Unsurprisingly, this didn't end well with a 100% fatality rate. But Sims yet again managed to blame these fatalities on, I quote, the sloth and ignorance of their mothers and the midwives who attended them, as opposed to his brutality. He went on in 1855 to found the Women's Hospital, the first women's hospital in the United States, Again, sounds good, right? Well, here is where he performed operations on indignant women, often in a theatre so that medical students and other doctors could view them against their consent. Notably, the patients remained in hospital indefinitely while undergoing repeated procedures. Such procedures, and again, closing our legs, clitoridectomies were included in there, believed to control hysteria, and improper behaviour related to sexuality. 
These were done at the request of the women's husbands or fathers, as was allowed in that time. Later in his career, he developed a private practice and raised his charges, effectively limiting it to wealthy women. He became known for another surgery, the Batty surgery, which contributed to his honourable reputation at the time. This involved the removal of both ovaries, which became a popular treatment, again, for insanity, epilepsy, hysteria, and other disorders of the nerves. At the time, these were caused to be thought to be caused by disorders of the female reproductive system, given such little understanding. Sims practiced this and gynecology until the day he finally died at the age of 70 of a heart attack in 1883. He received honors and medals for his successful operations in many countries and continues to be hailed as the father of modern gynecology. So torture, murder, hunger for power and fame, all trademarks of a classic villain. So why is there still a statue honoring his achievements and a tool that bears his name in use today? The state of New York is currently considering whether to remove Sims' statue. Calls have been made to strip his many titles. The design, as I mentioned, has been updated slightly. It now comes in different sizes and plastic forms, and many people are working ethically, of course, on newer, more patient-friendly designs. But despite, despite its ethically flawed past and villainous inventor, the speculum is still, in essence, a very important role in the practice of women's health today. Perhaps we just need to honour the true heroes of this story, the people who sacrificed their lives and rename it after the slaves that he experimented on, instead of the Sims speculum, perhaps the Lucy, the Betsy or the Annika. <laughs> 